Hey, this is Robbie Baseball from the Dingers Fantasy Baseball Podcast, and you are listening to Pop Goes Your World. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes. And while you're there, please leave us a rating and review. And now it's time for our feature presentation. I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me. And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation. Episode 238, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles Movie Review. Brian here along with Derek Myers and this is Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Now, this week we're wrapping up our pop culture fantasy draft by watching our second and final movie from our draft year 1987. Last week, I nominated Lethal Weapon from 87 and this time it was over to Derek to pick a movie from our draft year. So he went with Planes, Trains and Automobiles and we're going to get to our full movie review in a few minutes. But first... What pop culture can you educate me on this week, Derek? Hey, Chris. Hi. Uh, well, so last in the last show, mm-hmm. uh, when we reviewed Lethal Weapon, it had been a few weeks since we had done a show. Normally, we do a show every week. So in mm-hmm. this segment, I only have seven days to watch a handful of things and, and review them and talk about them. But because we had been off for a few weeks, I had a very long list last week. And it's... You, you did. Know, when, I, yes. when I listened back to it, it sort of went on and on a little bit. And so I want to apologize to the listeners for that. But uh, hopefully you got a few gems out of there and some good recos of things maybe you hadn't watched before. So I feel that moving forward, I need to be a little bit, you know, I need I need to to contain myself a little more. A little so more succinct. I'm going to I've decided I'm going to create a new rule for myself. Mm-hmm. It's called the five or five rule. Oh. And so I'm going to limit myself to either only talking about five movies, TV shows, documentaries, five things. Or if I feel I need to talk about more than five, I got to cap it after five minutes. So that could be a tough, tough uh, thing for me to do. But I'm going to try to do that. And this week, I actually have six things. So I'm sort of, un, uh, you know, obviously it's the five or five. So I'm sort of going to be limited to five minutes on that. So if you choose to go with talking about five things, will you still try to keep under five minutes? Because if you could be like, for sure, I'm only going to talk about five things, but I'm going to take half an hour to do it. Well, I'm going to try to keep it under five if okay. I can Either way. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I, I, that sounds pretty cool. So we'll see. We'll see. I mean, hey, you know, I, no need to chop us I'll off t- at the knees if we don't what. have to, but. I'll tell you what. Yeah. For next week, then, I'll have our producer, Sloth, put together a like a ticking stopwatch. And if you're getting close to the five minutes, I'll have him put it in. I don't want to put him on the spot right now behind the glass because he's looking okay. at me. He's okay, like, that's I don't want to do this. But for next week, we'll have a, a stopwatch and, and then I'll have him activate the stopwatch if you're getting close to the five minute mark okay okay and and if we find that it's just a little too rushed we can throw it out the window but i I think (laughs) knowing i have a limitation that might might you know make me force me to be a little tighter with my reviews so okay all right right. so we ready to go uh so i've got a few this week so i'm gonna start with steven's kidding I'm going to start with the Steven Spielberg double feature. So we had a chance to go and see Steven Spielberg's brand new movie, The Fablemans in the theater. It's getting a lot of Oscar buzz. Honestly, this was not my favorite Steven Spielberg movie. I thought it was really long, really boring. Uh, I thought it took forever to sort of get where it's going. And by the time it got there, I thought, like, who gives a crap? It really was just not what I was expecting. The performances were great. And I mean, Spielberg knows how to shoot a movie. 
but I was quite disappointed with it. So is it uh, kind I of guess, like autobiographical in a way? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I sort of knew a little bit going in that it was sort of in that direction, mm-hmm. but it it really just yeah. I I just had a hard time relating to the material. Mm-hmm. I I didn't love it. Uh, performances were great, but overall, got to give it two thumbs down. Then later this week, I had a chance to watch for the very first time the movie Empire of the Sun from Steven Spielberg from oh. 1987 with yeah. a very young Christian Bale. Again, had never seen it before, had it on my PVR for a long time and thought, I'm going to give it a go. It took me, I'm not quite done. I have about 20 minutes to go. It's like two and a half hours long. And um, yeah, it was, again, it's slow, but I'm enjoying it. It's got a um, a lot of uh, a lot of good actors, a lot of big names in it. Again, I, because I didn't know anything about it, I didn't know who was in it. So it's like, you know, it's I knew Christian Bale was the main kid, but John Malkovich got a big part in it. And I was like, oh, yeah, geez, I didn't know that. Uh, Joe, Joe Pantoliano, Joey Pants is in it. And it's just like, again, it's a story about um, uh, people that are in a uh, POW camp uh, in China once Japan takes it over World War II. So, again, interesting, decent, not necessarily something everyone's going to enjoy really long, but uh, it was on my sort of bucket list of movies that I felt I had to watch, especially as a Spielberg fan. And I enjoyed it. Uh, Chris, I watched a movie from 1988, a little uh, a little movie that I had never heard of. I, I got I was listening to a podcast a while back and they brought it up and it sounded interesting. It's called mm-hmm. The Chocolate War. Have you ever heard of The Chocolate nope. War? 1988? No. Um, so it stars. Um, I don't even know. It's a Mitchell Smith, who is one of the guys from Weird Science. He's Weird Science, man. Yeah. Yeah. It he also has small, yeah. small parts. It's got Bud Court. And Adam Baldwin. Um, Bud Court is from, uh, oh man, he did a lot of different movies. He was Harold and Maude. And then Adam Baldwin was in My Bodyguard. Yeah. So, I mean, and it's got a handful of other people. You're like, oh, I like, there's um, actor named Doug Hitchinson. He's in the Green Mile. He's the the, the sadistic guard that like uh, doesn't wet the sponge. He's, but he's like 15 in this movie. So there's a lot of people you watch. He was in Lost too. I remember him. Yeah. Yeah. So um, anyway, it's, uh, it's a story. They sort of, Compare it to like um, a Dead Poets Society, where it's like about kids at a private school in the I want to say like 60s. And it's this it focuses on the main kid and it's like he's having challenges with the with the headmaster of the school. And he's also having challenges with like this almost like a secret society that like gives kids ridiculous tasks or else uh, you're not going to be popular it's uh it's like one of these anti-establishment kind of stories it was mm-hmm. it was the book it, it was based on a book that came out in the 70s that was banned so of course you ban a book everyone wants to know what it's all about so it has like an underground following and uh, it was it was quite good i really enjoyed it it's got a weird name of the chocolate war it's all about um they're trying to sell chocolates to raise money as a part of the school year and that's why it's called the chocolate war but uh mm. yeah no it was decent if you can find it take a look from 1988 the chocolate war okay had a chance to uh, watch a movie from 2012 called Pitch Perfect about acapella singers at a college. You ever heard of this one? Nope. It's uh, it's got Anna Kendrick. And, oh yes, uh, I have Robert heard of Wilson, that one. Yeah, Snow. Yeah. Again, it's got a pretty big cast. Yeah, and um, they made a sequel in it. Yeah, they made a bunch of sequels. Yeah, not usually my my kind of movie, but I saw it in the lineup. I had heard good things. She's I a thought, good singer. Yeah, Anna Kendrick. It was She's great. Yeah, fun. I really enjoyed it. It was like a pretty good feel good movie. The songs were good. The performances were good. I I really liked it more than I expected to. So again, mm. it's one of those. Hey, it was on. I watched it, and uh, it was two hours that I I felt that I I was. You know, I gave up two hours to watch it and I didn't feel like I was gypped like I did with the Fablemans. It was two and a half hours. So Mm -hmm. Um, the last real movie I want to talk about. You better hurry uh, because you're getting close to your five minutes. Yeah, no. The last real movie I want to talk about is called After the Dark. It's from Amazon Prime from 2013. 
It's just a little independent movie. Well, I don't even know if it's independent, but um, I'll just read you. So, Chris, have you ever heard of like, it's like a psychological experiment where they say, uh, there's eight people. Imagine you're on a sinking ship and the lifeboat only holds six people. Figure out who gets in the lifeboat and who doesn't. And so the movie basically takes that idea and it's it's um, takes place in the last year of a school and the graduating kids on the last day are given this assignment. And they say, there's 20 kids in this class. Imagine there's a nuclear bomb coming. You have a nuclear shelter and only 10 of you can fit in the nuclear shelter. Who do you bring in the shelter? And the teacher gives them all a little piece of paper that have their their occupation. So based on that information alone, they have to decide who's in the bunker and who's not in the bunker. And then the movie basically acts out like, what would it be like if that's really who they were going into these bunkers? And of course, as things progress, they realize they maybe haven't made all the right choices. So they get a do-over they get to try it. They get a couple of do-overs and they get to like make different decisions about who lives and who dies in the bunker. It was really good. It was, it's doesn't have any real big famous names in it. It's got a weird title after the darks, kind of a stupid title, but uh, it's from 2013. It's on Amazon prime. So if you got Amazon, it won't cost you anything. Check it out. I mean, you, after 10 minutes, you're going to know if this is the kind of movie for you. I've recommended it to a bunch of my nerdy friends and they have loved it. So strong recommendation from me, this little movie that just randomly popped up in my suggested features called after the dark on Amazon. Mm. And then finally, I see I'm over my five minutes. Finally, uh, I had a chance to watch a documentary. For 40 days and 40 nights, watch documentaries. He likes to learn about the world. It's Derek's documentaries. Derek's documentaries. What documentary did you watch? I was going to say, I don't think the music should count against my time. That was no, well, either way, you're already like two minutes over. Yeah, so. I'm already two minutes over. This is <laughs> bad, bad experience. You're, I'm glad you don't have the ticking Your five or five is, is not yeah. working out so good. You have so to do like five over eight or something. Yeah. Um, double so, it, ten or ten. <laughs> on, uh, you know me, I love a good documentary. You know you me, I love a good sports documentary. And there's a new sports documentary series that's on HBO right now about Shaquille O'Neal, the basketball player. And it's just called Shaq. And they have released two one-hour episodes. I believe there's four in the series. They're releasing them one a week. So I had a chance to watch the first one because it drops. We record this on a Wednesday night. The new episode just dropped an hour ago. Um, so I had a chance to watch the one from last week. Again, not a big basketball fan. I know who Shaq is because I'm not living under a rock or in a cave, despite, you know, the caveman. Um but yeah, I found it fascinating, you know, a, a good um, a good rise to glory kind of origin story about a, a famous athlete who is dominant in their profession is always interesting. And uh, it was really good. I really enjoyed it. I'm kind of really curious to see where the rest of the series goes, because if it's four one hour episodes, this episode sort of got to like halfway through Shaq's professional playing career. So I'm like, they covered a lot of ground in the first hour. I'm really curious to see sort of where they focus the rest of this series on. But um, no, it's quite good. Very entertaining and uh, strong recommendation. Maybe you want to wait for all of the episodes to come out and then just binge them all at once or binge them over a weekend. But yeah, it was quite strong. Called Shaq. It's on HBO Max. Second episode uh, dropped this week. And I believe there's four in the series. So check it out. Nice. Three and a half minutes over. Not too bad. Mm -hmm. All right. So for anybody that's new to this podcast, I'm not exactly up on newer pop culture. I don't know. I, I know it's it's true. It's true. But Derek, it's your job to inform me of the newer things. So, you know, tell me about what to watch, you know, suggest these things. And then, of course, it's my job to totally ignore your advice and just watch Meatballs and Stripes over and over again. You know, you and can't teach an old dog days. new tricks. You yep. know? Uh, but recently, Derek, you told me about this series on Disney Plus called Dope Sick. It's all about the opioid epidemic in the United States. Yep. And I will say this, I would never have even considered watching this 
if it wasn't for you hounding me to give it a try. Because like it's got a weird name and stuff. And I'm like, what is this? And so I went ahead and watched it. Oh, it was fantastic. Oh man, it was so good. Michael Keaton is in it and he was outstanding in it. I mean, I always think of Michael Keaton as Billy Blazejowski from Night Shift with my idol, Henry Winkler. And, but other than that in Batman, like I haven't seen him in a lot, you know, since then. Now, let's be honest, I haven't exactly watched a lot since then either. So there's that. No kidding. But, but this show, Dopesick, was really, really good. Yeah, the way strong. that that, was it Purdue Pharma? The way they market their drug, Oxycontin, it's like just a, this lesson in like greed and corporate evil. And the actor that plays the president of the company, he's just this incredible bad guy. Like kind of an original bad guy too. I cannot say enough good things about this show. Dope sick. Yeah, it oh. was very strong. Yeah, Derek, I, I oh, when I found you. it, so Michael Keaton won, I believe, was an Emmy Award for his role in Dope Sick, and that was part of what prompted me. Uh, the week after the awards, I was like, oh, who won awards this week? Oh, this person. I already watched that show, and this person. I already watched that show. And then one of the only people that won an award for a show I was not familiar with was Michael Keaton. I'm like, oh, what's this? So I sought it out. I watched it. I thought it was great. I've been telling everybody about it. And you're like the fourth or fifth person that I've recommended this to that has finally sat down to watch it and came back and said, that was great. I'm, I'm glad you recommended it. It was strong. And I'm like, hey. All I'm doing is, is is shining a spotlight on the work that these great performers and these great creators put together. I mean, I can't take credit for this show, but if you haven't watched Dope Sick, check it out. And Chris, correct me if I'm wrong, is it on Disney Plus? It is on Disney Plus. Yeah, yes. it's on Disney. Yeah, that 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 was the barrier to entry for a couple of my friends who didn't have Disney Plus. But uh, if you've got Disney, and believe me, if you've got kids, I know you've got Disney. Check it out, Dope Sick. Well, very good, very Derek, thank you for educating all of us on this show because it's it's quite good i mean apparently you can teach an old dog new tricks you know um yeah now if only we can teach you to not crap on the lawn yeah yeah well yeah and also teach me not to do this here's your dad joke of the week derek what did the janitor say when he jumped out of the closet um supplies uh, I'll let you keep crapping on the lawn if you stop telling those jokes. <laughs> Why didn't anyone tell me my ass was so big? Joke after joke after joke after joke. We ate family. I bet she gives great helmets. Never watch that part again. This is dumb. This is dumb. How many we got on this ship anyhow? Not nearly as bad as say something like Revenge of the Nerds. Evil will always triumph over good because good is dumb. I don't think it's something I would want to watch over and over again. They don't make movies like this anymore. They just don't. That was from our Spaceballs one. It's just so yeah, Spaceballs I love that line. So good. good will Evil will triumph over good because good is dumb. <laughs> okay. okay, so Derek, so we wrapped up our final pop culture fantasy draft uh, with the year 1987. And by the way, I won the decade of the 80s with a score of six to four, in case you didn't hear. It was close. It was yeah. close. Uh, so for my movie from 1987, like I mentioned at the top of the show, I went with Lethal Weapon, which if you missed it, we reviewed this on our last show. And then this time it was over to you, Derek. You decided to have us watch and review Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. So maybe we can start off with why you wanted to go with this movie. Of all the movies from 1987, why this one? Sure. Well, there was a couple of reasons. Um, first off, we've reviewed a lot of movies from 1987 already. So mm -hmm. some of the sort of the, the cream of the crop, we've already covered, as we have with many years from the 80s. So sometimes it, we got to, you know, you got to dig a little deeper to find that, that, that diamond in the rough. Um, 
Secondly, as I mentioned before, I still, uh, I'm a dinosaur too, just like you. I still have cable, but I have all the specialty channels and I'm constantly recording movies off of these channels that I think, oh, that's something I want to watch. And I'm at least once a week, my wife says, you're not allowed to record anything else until you watch some of the stuff that's on there to make room. And and she's right. And so that I mean, that's why I watch Empire of the Sun. It was a three hour movie that was taking up room on the PVR. I had to get rid of it. So Planes, Trains and Automobiles is one of those movies where I've never seen it before. I've heard great things about it. I've seen some of the clips on YouTube over the years. Um, it's been on my PVR for three months at least. And I thought, you know what? When we were doing the 87 draft, you picked it as your personal pick and the little light bulb in the back of my head went off and thought, you know what? This is a good excuse to watch this movie from 87 that I've never seen that clearly you enjoyed enough to make it your personal pick. And it has the bonus of getting it off my PVR and making my wife happy. So everybody wins. You win. The wife wins. Hopefully I win because hopefully it's a decent movie and hopefully the listeners win because hopefully it's, it's a good review. What I didn't know was that it takes place over American Thanksgiving. And as coincidence would have it, between our last show and this show was American Thanksgiving. So, of course, it was on TV a couple of times. And, of course, a couple of other podcasts reviewed it in the last week because they were doing reviews of Thanksgiving-themed movies, which, again, I had no idea it took place over Thanksgiving. It was just a total coincidence. So I was hoping for a great surprise when I watched this movie. Well, not even a surprise, but I was hoping that it was going to be good. I know that it's got a strong director. I know that it's got a great cast. Um, and, but like I said, never seen it. So sat down this week and finally had a chance to watch it. So that, that was why I recommended it. And your initial thoughts on it. I thought it was great. I thought it totally lived up to the hype. It had been getting very positive feedback all my life. I've heard people say how great a movie it is. I know that Steve Martin, I, I'm a big fan of Steve Martin's work, and I know he usually does a Me great too. job. I'm yeah. a big fan of John Candy, although I know yeah. sometimes, you know, you watch him and you think, eh, was he the right person to be cast in this role? Um, like, John Candy, to me, never really got onto the A-list. He sort of was put into a certain lane mm -hmm. and, and was sort of stuck there. But this, this, and then you had mentioned this in our last show when I, I brought this up, was this, in my mind, was clearly one of his most outstanding performances uh, I mean, he had two or three sort of signature roles, and this definitely is among them. It certainly shows that he's an actor with range. He's not just a, a funny, goofy, improvisational comedian who who's there to, you know, laugh at the fat guy, laugh at the fat guy, although there is some of that in this movie. Um, and that's clearly a staples of, of many 80s kinds of films, laugh at people because they're different, um, which is not okay. Um, but he actually acts in this movie and does a great job. And I messaged you as I was watching it. And I said, like, I'm a half an hour into this movie and I've already both laughed and cried at John Candy's performances. Like this thing is great. And I loved it. So let's, uh, let's dive into it. Like, mm -hmm. tell me, tell me about your, your relationship <clears throat> with this movie. All right. So I got to come clean on something here. Cause I always am pretty honest here on the show. So just like you mentioned, I went with this movie as my personal pick for our draft of 1987. Now, I want you to keep in mind, our pop culture fantasy drafts, I think like any fantasy draft, should be about winning. I mean, that's the goal, right? I mean, you want to win the draft. And in this case, take home the Funko Fonzie trophy. You know, I always want to win that. So a lot of the time, I'll, I will make picks in the draft based on what I think will play with the judges, you know? And a lot of times, too, I, I'll make picks to try, to try and round out my overall draft. And 1987 was an interesting year to draft because it wasn't 
exactly chock full of great movies. You know, it was kind of a lame year for movies, to be honest. So I went with Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, not because I loved the movie, but because I thought it would round out my list. And I thought it would play better with the judges than the pick that I really wanted to make. I wanted to go with Amazon Women on the Moon. I love that movie, but literally no one has ever Nobody's even heard of it. it. And it's you not know. available on the streamers. Not like we can go no. watch it. So I thought it would probably cost me the draft if I picked that movie. So all that being said, I need to come clean. I don't love planes, trains, and automobiles. And in fact, until this week, I don't even think that I've ever even seen the whole movie in one sitting ever. And what's more, and I know this is going to be an interesting podcast, and it's probably going to get me hate mail. I don't even like this movie. There's there's a lot of good '80s comedies out there, but this ain't one of them. I think I think it's misclassified as a comedy. It's yeah. got funny bits, but I I wouldn't classify this as a comedy. I would classify this as a drama with funny parts. Hmm, that's fair. Remember last week when I said that Lethal Weapon was more than a sum of its parts? Yes. This time, I would say that Planes, Trains, and Automobiles was less than the sum of its parts. Because basically, it has all the ingredients that you think would make an amazing movie. It's got Steve Martin, John Candy, you know, two of the biggest, you know, comedy actors in the 80s. And we both, we we love both those guys, right? We mentioned Mm -hmm. that. It's got John Hughes directing, one of the most popular directors of the decade. It's got a great concept, you know, this road trip between these two different people kind of forced to survive together. And it's got, a, it, it's got a script that should really, really tug at your heartstrings. But I find that you put it all together, it just doesn't work. The whole time I was watching this, I felt it's, it. the whole thing is just a bit off. The performances were a bit off, the direction was a bit off, the pacing, everything. This movie misses the mark for me. Wow. I know this is going to be that's, an interesting. Uh, one. <laughs> that's not where I was expecting I know. to go with this. That's Holy why, cow! That's why I love doing this show. It's always a surprise. So, I mean, I think John Hughes, like he basically had his finger on the pulse of teenagers in the '80s. You know, at a time when when a lot of movies that featured teenagers were just about sex, sex, and more sex. John Hughes was instead he was making movies about what it was like really like to be a teenager in the 80s. Like his characters were real. His scripts were great. His direction was just about as sharp as you can get. But for me, when it came to making, you know, quote unquote movies for adults, he didn't really land all that much. Like, you know, his his big movies were all about or or, or for teenagers. You know, if you think of <clears throat> The Breakfast Club, 16 Candles, Ferris Bueller, Weird Science, but his movies that he made that were aimed at adult audiences, like the ones that he directed or just wrote and produced, whatever, like things like She's Having a Baby, Dutch, Only the Lonely, Career Opportunities. I haven't seen any of those movies. They all pretty much sucked. And and for me, I put Planes, Trains, and Automobiles in this group of movies. It just misses the mark for me. Wow. I know. Just, I don't know. That's my impression on it. I always like to take a look at the box office. Right? Yeah, for sure. And um, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles was not that big of a hit with audiences back in 1987. It finished 29th at the domestic U.S. box office for the year. It took in $35 million. Um, it ended up grossing just over $49 because it was released late in the year. It was in like November. So some of it probably came out happened. around Thanksgiving to yeah. it's about a th- exactly. trip over Thanksgiving weekend. That would make sense. Yeah, exactly. So it wasn't a huge hit. 
But we also always like to talk about the cast. Now, we've mentioned some of the big stars here, but uh, I don't know. Like, like I said, I think you, you take Steve Martin, you take John Candy, you put them together, you should have some of the, like, the most amazing work ever. And I don't know, it just doesn't happen. I mean, I don't think Steve Martin was at his best here. I don't think John Candy was either. I know you disagree with me, and that's fine. But I understand what they were going for here, but it just misses. Like, John Candy was one of the most beloved actors of his generation. He was underrated, like you said. Oh, big time. But everybody loved him, you know? And I don't know, something's just missing for me here. Like, the... The only scene of the movie for me that has any weight at all is the very end when he comes into the house and he like sees what a real family is like and, and that look on his face and they end the movie on that. Right. But that whole ending was a mishmash of editing. So that was not the original ending of the film. So originally the way it was written, the way it was shot was that Steve Martin arrives at the train station and finds John Candy there. And John Candy gives a whole speech about how he got a ride there from some trucker. And he talks about how, you know, he's always had a sort of glom on to people ever since his wife died. And so Steve Martin feels sorry for him and brings him home for a Thanksgiving dinner. And test audiences didn't like it. They didn't like his speech, John Candy's speech. They thought, you know, they thought it was kind of funny. They laughed at it. It was supposed to be sad, right? And I think they also didn't like how Steve Martin brings John Candy home out of pity. So the Hughes went back and, and, and sort of re-edited the movie based on stuff that he had. And so they made it kind of seem like, like Steve Martin realizes, you know, when he's in the, in the, in the train, oh, based on what he said, you know, his wife is dead. And then, you know, his character has some sort of redemption arc and it was all pieced together with unused footage. Like that shot when Martin is sitting on the train, that was all footage that was extra footage taken to him between takes. And so the empathy that he's supposed to find, you know, and that, you know, this decision he comes to that John Candy is actually a true friend. It just, it just doesn't work. And I think it's maybe the editing too. See, I, uh, I don't know. Like one of the things I was um, I was thinking when I watched this movie was Steve Martin. It's it's a story about Steve Martin's character. He's the main character. Yes. And the more I watched this movie, the more I disliked him. Oh, yeah. And I don't know if that yeah. was the intent. Like it, on its face, you can think, yeah, he's a normal guy who's been pushed to an extreme and he's having a normal reaction by getting angry and getting frustrated. But the more I watched it, the more I was relating to the to the um, John Candy character where it's like, yeah, things can go to crap and things will go wrong. And sure, you can yell at them, but what that's not going to solve the problem. It might make you feel good for 10 seconds, but now you got to deal with the fact that you're yelling in front of, you know, whoever you're yelling in front of. Whereas I, I liked the John Candy's characters, um, sort of the point of view of, uh, of it was just like, you know, be positive. Look for the silver lining. And yeah, I, you know, part of the comedy is that he just goes to the nth degree and he goes over the top so much. You know, it's that whole kill him with kindness, like literally kill him almost in some cases. And I I almost think that when again, I don't remember because I was younger and I never saw this movie before. But I wonder in the 80s if if it was like the perspe the perception and the the and the expected reaction from your audience would have been different that did the audience feel that they were Steve Martin and they had to put up with John Candy or did the audience feel that they were John Candy and Steve Martin was just a jerk 
And I kept thinking about that over and over as I'm watching this movie. And I was like, you know, I don't know. It's uh, like, do you think in this situation, do you think you'd be more like John Candy or Steve Martin? Like, would I'd you be probably the guy be... getting angry and yelling and telling the rental car woman to, you know, F off 500 times? Or would you be like John Candy where it's like, oh, well, things went wrong. I'm going to, yeah. you know, try and make the best of it. I don't know. And maybe that's what Hughes was trying to go for was to get audiences to try and figure out which of the two characters that they related to. But in the process, kind of understanding where they're both coming from, I guess, mm-hmm. you know. But like I say, we talk about the cast. So Steve Martin, for me, he's always been at his best when he's this sort of over the top sort of super extroverted he's like a comedic force of nature i don't know yeah. i i think this part could have been better played by a different actor now john hughes originally wanted tom hanks to play this part i, but, I think that would have been an interesting yeah uh, tom hanks wasn't moment, available right how would this have worked with mm-hmm. with with tom hanks especially because this would have been tom hanks when he was still more out of movies like big where it was, he was just shooting Hanks, big at the, the time. That's why actor. he couldn't do it. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. it's not Tom Hanks. I've won two Oscars. Right. Although you, even in the eighties, we could realize like this guy's got talent. So yeah, I think, I think this would have been a very interesting and a very different movie with, yeah. uh, with Tom Hanks. So he couldn't get Tom Hanks. So then he considered Rick Moranis for the part. Mm, I don't know if I could see Rick Moranis I being that. I, I want to say evil. Like Steve Martin's character does some pretty, I don't want to He's a jerk. I want to say yeah. despicable, but yeah. that's even a little too strong. Like, yeah, he just, just kind takes of a jerk. A, he, he, yeah, he, he, he's a jerk. He, he's just he digs his heels in. He makes certain things. He, he takes certain, um, situations and just digs himself in and is like, no, this is the way this has to happen. Whereas you constantly see Dell's character has the insight to think ahead. Like when they get stuck in the airport the first time and, and he says, he goes, well, you know, when everyone else came down to the phones and started calling their family, he goes, the first thing I did was book the hotel room. Cause it's like, he's got that foresight. He's, he's not just this lovable jerk. It's the, you know, this, this guy who is over the top. It's like, he's actually knows what he's doing. Like give him a chance. And, and you're going to realize like, he'll make you a better person by standing next to you. And, and talking about Steve Martin being a jerk, I, loved Steve Martin in those movies that he did with Carl Reiner back in the 80s, like The Jerk and Dead Man Don't Wear Plaid and The Man with Two Brains. One of my favorite comedies from the 80s was The Lonely Guy. It's this little movie yep, that he I've made. seen it. The scenes with Steve Martin and Charles Grodin, my God, it's just gold, you know, but I, th- I think he was wrong for this movie. I don't know. Maybe I'm alone on this, but you know, I don't necessarily think he was wrong, but I do think you're, I do think based on what you said, like other actors that could have had the part at that time, some I think would have done a great job and could have made this a better movie. But I think a lot of actors could have taken this in the wrong direction and would have made it, you know, much less than the sum of its parts. You know, speaking of other actors, the John Candy character, John Hughes originally wanted John Travolta to play Del Shannon. Wow. The studio wouldn't go for it. No kidding. Yeah. Good call, well, studio. In the time between Saturday Night Fever, but well, really between Saturday Night Fever's sequel, Staying Alive, and then like Pulp Fiction, mm-hmm. you know, for the entire decade of the 80s and like half the 90s, John Travolta was basically, he was considered to be box office poison by the movie studios. So, so he wasn't getting him. And so then John Hughes thought, mm, maybe I'll go with John Goodman for the part. That could have been an interesting, because this would have been before Goodman popped on Roseanne, right? Yeah, yeah, it would have been. And and the thing is, like I've mentioned before, you know, here on the podcast, John Candy, for me, was always at his best when he, he had a bit of an edge to his parts. 
like Stripes, yeah. Uncle Buck, Splash. All those characters were really likable, but they had a dark side to them. Yeah. And that's what made John Candy so unique, you know? But here, like you mentioned, he plays this character that has a lot of pain, right, obviously. Like, and, and, like, the thing is, like, the best comedy comes from pain. You know, I, I think that's why comedic actors play dramatic parts so well. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I remember I once worked with a director, and he always said, the key to comedy is this, is that comedy is never funny to the person it's happening to. Right. If you understand that, you can play comedy. You know, he used to always say that. And and I think that's true here in this movie. You know, it, it's, it's not a lot of fun to be a character in this movie. Because both John Candy and Steve Martin experience a lot of things that they don't like. Right. But again, I just something just it just doesn't work. I should totally love John Candy and sympathize with him in this movie and think Steve Martin is a total jerk for treating him. But I I found that I just didn't really care all that much. Wow. I I found that uh, sort of the the turning point for me in this movie where I was really 100 percent on board is when they have that scene in the bedroom and. like in the in the hotel room the first night after they it's about a half an hour into the movie and it's the scene from the trailer where you're like where they're spooning in bed and he's like where's your hand he's like between two pillows well those aren't pillows like it's Mm -hmm. it's that's that's probably the most famous scene in the movie yeah yeah so it's part of that sequence and steve martin like at one point just like completely rips into john candy like he just like goes he fires at him with both barrels. Yes. He unloads everything he's been thinking and trying to keep inside, but obviously not doing a well, very good job, and just unloads on him. And then John Candy, up until this point, has sort of been the lovable punching bag. Like, he hasn't hasn't stood up for himself, really. He's just sort of, oh, yeah, you know, sort of laughed it off. Um, and And then John Candy stands up for himself. And he says, like, hey, you know, I may have these faults, but I like me and my friends like me and my wife likes me and this is who I am. And if you don't like me for who I am, like that's you, that's a you problem. And, and like that scene to me was one of the best scenes in the movie. Like John Candy was just so perfect in that role. Like that was some of the best work he did in this movie. I'm watching and I'm tearing up and I'm like, Oh my God, like he's so right. And you got to think of when this movie came out in the eighties. Like there was not a lot of, of, of people that look like John Candy that were standing up for themselves in this kind of a way, right? Like in the 80s, so much of, of 80s movies is, let's laugh at that person for being different. Oh, look, that guy's Chinese, laugh at him. Oh, look, that person's gay, laugh at him. Look, that guy's fat, laugh at him. It's like, you look back now and you, you're ashamed that we laughed at those things at that time. But it's like, here's a movie where, not that there's necessarily picking on him because he's the fat guy, but he's picking on him for a lot of reasons. And and he just, I love that he stands up for himself and he, he fires back and it's like, but you can tell even as he's standing up for himself, he feels bad. Like it's uh, yeah, no, I just I thought that scene was so good. I was it was that, that's what sold the movie for me. So that's the two leads. But there was a lot of other actors. Oh, yeah. In this film. So Kevin Bacon was one. He's got the, the cameo as a guy in New York. Remember, he's trying to yeah. hail the cab. Recognized right the beginning. I was like, wow, Kevin Bacon's in this. Yeah. And then he, he makes another appearance, actually, because later, not that much later than that, when. Steve Martin is in the motel room and he's on the phone with his wife. Mm-hmm. She's watching a movie on TV. The movie that she's watching is she's having a baby, which was interesting because that movie didn't come out until the next year in 88. Oh, but since it was also directed by John Hughes, I'm, I'm assuming he likely had it in the can 
at this point. So he just used right. some footage, you know, in the movie. So Kevin Bacon was one. Ben Stein was another one. He was the yep. airport announcement guy. Yep. And he was also in Ferris Bueller. 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 He used to yeah. be a script writer for Richard yeah, Nixon. Yeah, for a Nixon government, yeah. Before he started in these bit parts and movies. And then he went on to do that game show, Win Ben Stein's Money. Did you ever watch that one? I watch it all the time with Jimmy Fallon as the host. No, Jimmy Kimmel. Jimmy, Jimmy Kimmel. Kimmel, pardon me. I knew That's it was where he got Jimmy's. his start. Yeah. Now Ben Stein yeah. doesn't do anything, although, he's, although he has gone full mega. So I guess there's that. Um, I want to mention Lyman Ward. He was Ferris Bueller's dad. And he has a really small cameo in the boardroom at the very beginning. Yes. With Steve Martin. And he's uncredited in this movie. I don't know. Maybe it was like a favor for John Hughes or something like that. But I recognized him right away. My oh, wife was watching right it. She's I'm like, oh, there's oh, a guy for Spieler. Yeah, for sure. So speaking of the boardroom. Yes. Now, in today's movies, when I go to see a movie, I've been taught by Marvel movies to sit through all the credits because sometimes at the end of the credits, there's a little something. And and I don't know what compelled me with this movie to watch through, sit through all the credits. Uh, I'll be honest. I fast forwarded through the credits. But there was a post-credit scene in this movie, and then I thought, I'm like, yeah, there's a post-credit scene in First Bueller's Day Off as well. So, but I had no idea. Again, it's just a little that that whole boardroom scene. It's at the very end of the movie after the credits. There's a little postscript. What with happens? The I didn't so, stick around for the credits. I don't know. See, there we go. So, at the very beginning, the boss is looking at the two or three different posters for, you know, the lip lipstick magazine or whatever he's looking at, and the nail polish, and it's the models and stuff, and he's like got the different boards. And he's mm-hmm. like, mm, this one, that one. He's trying so to pick between them, right? Yeah. So at the end, the boss is still sitting in the boardroom eating a Thanksgiving dinner by himself, and he's still humming and hawing between the boards, as if to imply the whole time this movie's been going on, he still hasn't decided. <laughs> Was nice. Like, nice. Nice. So I wonder how many people who are familiar with this movie had, had never had, had no idea that no there was idea that even so, happened. Yeah. It was just I, a fluke. I mean, normally I would have just been like, stop, delete right. from PVR. Wife, space has been cleared from PVR. <laughs> Deleted. Nope. I thought, no, I'm just going to fast forward through this. And I don't know what compelled me to do it, but I was glad I just, I mean, not that it's a hilarious scene, but it, it was just a nice little wink, wink at the end. One one guy I want to mention was Dylan Baker. So he was the redneck truck driver. He was remember the guy that was spitting. Yeah. And he shook Steve Martin's hand after he spit the tobacco <laughs> yeah. juice in it. Um, and he was remember he's talking with his wife. He's like, she's tough. Her second baby came out sideways. So yeah. anyway, I recognized him because oh, I just things. recently saw him in this trailer on some sort of show on Netflix. I, I and I remember when I saw him on that trailer, I couldn't put my finger on it. I was like. Man, where have I seen that guy before? I, I know I've seen him. And so then I see him in this movie like a day later. So I looked up his IMDb. I don't know where I know him from because I don't know any of the any of his credits. But I think he's like one of those guys, you know, for me. Yeah, he's definitely made a lot of appearances. He was uh, he had a very memorable part in um, The Good Wife, the series with Juliana Margulies. He played uh, like a murderer who got away with killing his wife and like basically was flaunting the fact that he was able to get away with killing his wife because of the double jeopardy rule attached to it. Um, he often plays like those sort of creepy uh, villainous type of, of characters. And I want to say he was in one of the iterations of Spider-Man, I think maybe in the one with Tobey Maguire, the very first one. Um, yeah. Yeah. Here, I'm just guys. IMDb up here. He was in actually Spider-Man one and Spider-Man two. Uh, they were setting him up to be the villain and then he never ended up, uh, that series got rebooted and somebody else ended up picking up his character. But yeah, he's been in so many different things over the years. He's he, exactly. He's one of those actors. You go, Oh, I know that guy. What's his name? No idea, but I know that guy. 
Yeah, he's been a working actor for years. Uh, Michael McKeon. I love Michael McKeon. I think he's fantastic. I think most people know him from Laverne and Shirley. Remember, he was yeah. Lenny. Lenny yep. and Squiggy. And, or they know him from Spinal Tap. David St. Hubbins. Yeah. But or for more me, recently, Better Call Saul. Oh, that's true. That's true. Um, I have always loved him in Young Doctors in Love. It Never was seen this, it. It's this small comedy that was done by Gary Marshall. And it was like, it came out back in 1982. It was basically supposed to be like airplane in a hospital. You know, he was Simon August. I, I always loved that movie. A um, couple of other ones I want to mention quickly. Layla Robbins, she played Steve Martin's wife. The reason I want to mention her, I didn't recognize her from anything. But I was watching the movie with my wife. And my wife's like, there's no way Steve Martin is married to her. She's too good looking for him. Oh, I agree. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's interesting. That's an interesting take. Um, remember when they went to the second motel? Remember that the, the clerk that was there? I don't know. I recognized. I was like, where do I know that guy from? So I, I was like, oh, I can't put my finger on it. He was, I think his name was Gennaro. He was in Jurassic Park. He was the guy that sat on the toilet and the T-Rex ate him. Yeah. Yeah. So I recognized him. And then one thing I noticed was um, I noticed Carol Bruce's name was in the credits for this movie. But I don't remember seeing her in the movie. She was Mama Carlson on WKRP. You would think of anybody in the world, I would recognize her in this movie, but I didn't. But apparently she was in it. So I don't yeah. know. That one kind of and then you, you got to mention uh, both the performer and the scene. Uh, Edie McClurg. McClurg, is that how you say it? The yes. woman who was a car rental agency. I always remember her as both the um, secretary in Ferris Bueller's Day yes. Off, but I also remember her from the uh, the Hogan Family series. She was Mrs. Poole, the neighbor from next door. Oh, yeah. So whenever I see her... You know where I, I know her from. WKRP, she was Herb Tarlick's wife. Really? Yes. Wow. I didn't know that. Uh, and I mean, she's been in tons of stuff, but she's got that that funny voice, yes. and but she always has that... That like she can be the loving mom or grandma now, or it's like, or she can have that mean streak, or she can stand up for herself. And it's like this, this her part in this was great. Just that whole scene where Steve Martin comes in from the rental car and he he has that whole tirade where he uses the f word like twenty or thirty times, and then just her retort at the end is just like it's so perfect. It's like it's such a small scene, but again. People who know this movie, they sort of remember two or three or four key scenes. And that's always one of the scenes that people are like, oh, the scene in the car rental where he keeps dropping those F-bombs. It's like, yep, no, that that scene was great. And oh, she definitely. was great in it. I mean, she improvised her lines that she said. Uh, remember when she's talking into the phone about the Thanksgiving food? Yeah. She improvised those. And it's and funny, that whole scene took the movie from a PG to an R rating. Oh, of course. I think it works, though. Like, they were right to leave it in. Yeah. The, the movie was apparently over three hours long after the first cut. And then they wow. got it down to two hours and then finally down to an hour and a half. So it was wow. interesting. Be interesting to sort of see what was left on the cutting room floor. I wonder if there's like a super deluxe DVD Blu-ray that has some of those deleted scenes. But, you know, I mean, you, you got to think the reason scenes often are deleted from the movie is because they don't work mm -hmm. or they weren't great or somebody was off. And so the, the director made a decision for a reason. But I also think that there are times where a movie might be a strong movie at two hours and the studio says we need you to drop 45 or 20, you know, 20 or 20 minutes to 25 minutes out of it because we want to be able to show it in theaters one more time per night. And then it's like, well, what about that 10 minutes of gold that just got cut out? So sometimes it's interesting to go back and see those deleted scenes. At the beginning of the movie, um, when Steve Martin is leaving the meeting, 
in New York and he goes to the airport. That's when you first see John Candy. He's sitting yeah. in the airport lounge. He's waiting for the plane. He's reading a novel called yes. The Canadian Mounted. Nice. Obviously a sex novel, <laughs> judging by yeah. the title and the photo. And up. judging by the cover. Yeah, exactly. But right off the top, again, it just, it reinforced to me how this movie misses the mark. They're trying to make John Candy this big, lovable, kind of lonely soul with this broken heart. So why do you have him reading a smut book out in public? Yeah, that's I don't true. know. Again, another thing. Well, I um, think I think it's it's partly that is the joke of the fact that he's Canadian too, right? It's yeah, like, that's it, that's what they're going for. But it yeah. just doesn't work. It, again, it just goes back to what I was saying. So one thing I want to mention. So they get on the plane, and there's an exterior shot of the plane flying at night. It looked like it was the same scene from Airplane. No question. I was I was watching this with my wife, and I'm like 100. percent I'm like, hey. I said, hey that's that's from the airplane. They they stole this, this this from the movie airplane. I recognize it right away. I recognize yeah. it right away. Yeah. And she she's like, oh, she thinks I'm crazy. She's like, how can you spot something like that? Like, how the hell do you notice that? But I went and looked it up afterward. Yep. Right. They did. Yep. They they did. They stole it from airplane. One thing we always talk about with these these older eighty movies, the smoking. The smoking. Yep. <laughs> she's John Candy smokes basically everywhere. You know, and again, I would say if I if I wanted to make him more sympathetic, maybe take away the smoking. I mean, I know it was the 80s, but like the ways that he annoys Steve Martin should be more innocent. You know, at least that's that's what I think would work better. But by making him annoy Steve Martin with like cigarette smoke is just annoying. The, period. I don't think this. I mean, I think there was only one scene where the cigarette smoke was sort of an issue, considering how much he was smoking. Um, so, I mean, so, I get what you're saying that, yes, that was just one more checkbox of, you know, why is he annoying? Well, he smokes in places like a car with the windows rolled up kind of thing. But considering how often he is smoking, it doesn't really seem to bother Steve Martin in most cases. It's usually something else that he's fixated on. Well, like, and the thing is, like, so John Candy's character is supposed to be, like, honest and sincere. And then he goes and basically scams people. With his shower rings. Remember that scene? It's like, this is Daryl Strawberry's ring and stuff like that. Like, he just, like, lies to sell these individual shower rings to people. They, they He makes them think they're, like, valuable or something. Like, it, I don't know. It would be one thing if he, if, if he just sold them as different things. You know, hey, this one's an earring. You know, this one's a ring toss game or something like that. That would be fine. But instead, he lies to people. And he's like... You know, saying all oh, this belonged to celebrities and stuff like that. And again, it just takes away from that innocence of this character. You know, that he, I just, I don't know. I don't see. I like that. I, to me, that reinforced the fact that he's such a good salesman. Because every time they go to a new place, even though it's an unexpected place, he knows a guy. Oh, I've sold this guy of this. And I know a guy who knows this guy. And to me, that really reinforced the idea of he's always on the road. He's clearly been at this job a long time and he's clearly a good salesman. Like the good the salesman that I know in my life, like I have friends who who work in sales in various industries and they are always on. You never they're never they're never down. It's always like you invite them to a party and they're schmoozing and selling everybody at the party. It's just, you know, they can't they can't help themselves. It's just part of their personality which often is what makes him such good salespeople. And so I didn't really have an issue with him misleading some of these folks, especially because it was only for a few dollars here and there. Um, but to me, that just emphasized how good a salesperson he really is. If he can tell you this is, you know, the Daryl Strawberry earring, something or other sign, blah, 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 when it's clearly not and you believe it, there's something about him that, that makes you want to 
take what he's saying at face value or trust him. He's, you know, it, to me, that's just a uh, reinforces the, the, um, the ability he has as a salesperson. The fact that he can convince people, uh, to see things his way. And that's what he's been trying to do to see Martin, the whole movie. He's just been trying to say like, well, don't freak out about this thing. Let's, let's just look at the positive. And through the whole movie, Steve Martin is just so resistant. And like, to me, this is just a scene where, you you see how good he really is at this, and and to me this reinforced how much of a jerk Steve Martin's being. It's like, come on, man, like just follow his lead for five seconds. He clearly knows what he's doing. There's the scene where Steve Martin falls down, and he gets lifted off the ground by his testicles, <laughs> yeah. and then in the car he's talking with this like helium voice. Yeah, I I I know it's supposed to be funny, it's a cheap laugh, yeah. but you know, I, again, it just doesn't work. And but then, that's an 80s joke. Like, I know, that's, but it's that's, just, it, yeah. it doesn't belong here. It, it just, it was out of place. And another thing that, that stood out to me is out of place. When they're driving the wrong way down the highway and Steve Martin wakes up in this panic and John Candy appears briefly as the devil. Remember he was wearing horns? Oh, yeah. In yeah, the yeah, red yeah. suit with the pitchfork and stuff. Again, it just doesn't work. It just, I don't know. The whole thing just misses the mark for me. My wife spent the majority of this movie on her phone and I was so jealous. Oh, man. So I guess my my overall takeaway from the movie was that they have lots of adventures. They get into all kinds of situations, but it just feels kind of empty and dumb. Well, I would get hate mail, I know. And, and the thing is, I went online. I looked. And the ratings for this movie, like, you know, Rotten Tomatoes and stuff where people can go out and the social media sites, are, like everybody loves it. So I know I'm, you know. I'm an island of one, <laughs> but I didn't like it. I thought it was, I thought it was dumb. I it was well, bad. I think, I think that because this is a season, now that I understand that this movie takes place at Thanksgiving, I'm guessing people watch it every year at Thanksgiving. And there's probably a certain nostalgia factor that people attach to it. Um, so I, like for me, because I've only seen because this was my first viewing, I'm not going to run out and watch it again next week. But I will probably watch it again a year from now if it comes back on TV around Thanksgiving next year and say, oh, yeah, maybe not the whole movie, but certain parts. If I know that certain scenes coming up, I'll be like, well, let me just watch this for 10 minutes and then I'm going to go out and, and you know, do whatever I'm going to do kind of thing. So, like, I, I enjoyed it. I really liked it. I thought that uh, I thought John Candy was was, the, the you know, the star of this movie in the sense that you I, I really thought his performance was great. I thought this is definitely one of his his better movies, his better performances, even if you didn't really love the movie so much. Um, and I mean, Steve Martin's Steve Martin's good in so many things, but I just I found that Steve Martin's character was in my mind ended up being more of the villain than I think was intended. But uh, no, I liked it. Like I would say on a scale one to ten, I'm probably giving this a, a solid seven. Seven. I will give it I'll give it a two. Sorry. Wow. I'm just being honest. Right. It is an 80s like movie. You know, yeah. you're supposed to give it some I'm bonus points to, because it was from I, the 80s. I'm supposed to like it. And I should like it more I, for all the reasons I mentioned. I, I like John Candy. I like John Hughes. You know, I like Steve Martin. I just, I just didn't like this movie. I thought it was dumb. But uh, anyway, let's have some fun with Caveman. Okay, you know what? It's time now to play a little game that I like to call Pick the Flick. Yeah, pick the flick. You get the synopsis, then pick the flick. You get the year. The flick. Okay, here's how it works. I give you the year of the synopsis, just like the song says, and you pick the flick. Okay, and the common thread 
is just like planes, trains, and automobiles, all the movie titles are going to have some sort of transportation in the title. Okay. All right. It's going to be super, super easy. Okay. You're going to nail this one. All right. 1987. A bitter ex-husband wants his former spouse dead. A put-upon mama's boy wants his mother dead. Who will pull it off? Yeah, that was uh, Throw Mama from the Train. See, you're off, to, you're off to a good start here. Okay, 2000. Two potheads wake up after a night of partying and cannot re- remember where they parked their vehicle. Oh, that was... Um that was the one with Ashton Kutcher, right? That was, uh, dude, where's my car? <laughs> You're nailing it. 1983, the misadventures of a group of unfortunate but streetwise cabbies working for a decrepit taxi cab company. Yeah, that was DC Cab with Mr. T. We just mentioned this movie like last week on the show. Irene Cara just died. Did you hear that? Yes, I did. RIP yeah. Irene Cara. I guess she's not going to live forever. Oh, my, my, my. <laughs> Too soon? Too soon? Oh, oh, oh my. He's right. Oh, jeez. She was in DC Cab. That's the only reason why I mentioned it. That's just awful. God, you're terrible. Okay, 2006. An FBI agent takes on a plane full of de- deadly venomous snakes, deliberately released to kill a witness being flown from Honolulu to Los Angeles to testify against a mob boss. Uh, was that um, Snakes on a Plane? Sure was. Nice. All right, 1976, we're going way back. A mentally unstable veteran works as a nighttime cab driver in New York City, where the perceived decadence in sleaze fuels his urge for violent action. Um, taxi driver. Yes. Okay. 2004. A little bit more in your wheelhouse, but Okay. Yeah. The dramatization of a motorcycle road trip Che Guevara went on in his youth that showed him his life's calling. Wow. Remember, the title is going to have some sort of transportation in it. I have no idea. Oh, it's the Motorcycle Diaries. Ah. Uh, okay. 1980. When the owner of a struggling used car lot is killed, it's up to the lot's hotshot salesman to save the property from falling into the hands of the owner's ruthless brother and used car rival. Yeah, I just watched this one not too long ago. Used cars. It was a pretty good movie, wasn't it? It was. (laughs) That was a good one, yeah. All right, 1995. A girl is among the few survivors of a dystopian Earth. Riding a war tank, she fights against the tyranny of mega corporation that dominates the remaining potable water supply of the planet. Wow. Uh, was that Tank Girl? It was Tank Girl. I had no idea what the movie was about. I'm just like, well, you said tank. So I'm yeah. like, that's the only movie I can think of. All right. 1996. Renton, deeply immersed in the Edinburgh drug scene, tries to clean up and get out. Despite the allure of the drugs and influence of friends. It's Edinburgh, not Edinburgh. Uh, that was train spotting. Sorry, I'm not much of a Scottish pronouncer. No kidding. Titles. 
I'm Canadian. I'm Canadian. I say a boot. Gerard Depardieu. Yeah, exactly. I'm I'm Canadian. What do you want? Uh, And the last one, 1970. All right, going way back. In 1825, an English aristocrat is captured by Native Americans. He lives with them and begins to understand their way of life. Eventually, he's accepted as part of the tribe and aspires to become their leader. Wow. I have no idea. A man called Horse. Sure. Never heard of it before? Richard Harris? No? It's <laughs> uh, a really little good known movie. secret. I'm also a man called Horse for totally different reasons. <laughs> <laughs> oh my. Oh, indeed. <laughs> there it is again. All right. That's great. Uh, so because uh, I eat a lot of oats. Come on. I don't know what you're thinking. Exactly. Jeez. It's because when I ask you to count, you just stomp your foot a couple of times. Sure, we'll go right. like that. So next time we come back, Derek, we're going to be back with a top five list. We may have a special guest lined up to join us as well. So this should be really exciting next time out. So uh, uh, we'll, 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 we won't tease too much more. We'll just say that and we'll leave it at that. All right. Sounds good. We'll see all you right. next time. All right. That sounds good. So until next time, this is Chris McBride. On behalf of myself and Derek Myers, I want to say thanks for listening to Pop Culture World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show.